0: Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your Nine Fingered host, Dan Johnson. It is honestly good to be back in my little dungeon basement here. My little corner of the house that I can call my podcast studio. Um, I I want to apologize to all of you uh, diehard listeners first and foremost. Sorry, uh, it's been like 10, 10 plus days since uh, I've had a, a podcast out. Um, I had a death in my family. My uh, my stepmother she passed away from uh, a, a battle with cancer. She ended up losing. Um, she she was fighting that for about two years and uh, maybe a little less, year and a half, and uh, it ultimately took her. Um, needless to say, she is, you know, done with the suffering, and she is in a better place now, and uh, first off, I want to say thank you guys for all the support that you've uh, thrown my way, the emails, the uh, Facebook messages, all that stuff, um, that really means a lot to uh, that, uh, you guys, uh, take it serious enough to, uh, uh, take time out of your your day to do that. Now, enough with the sappy stuff. Um, I just want to say I am pumped up to be back and, uh, today I got a Today we're doing a hunter hunter profile podcast with uh, an old friend of mine. His name's Brandon Phipps. He's from Kentucky, and he shot a giant velvet nine-point buck. Uh, I think it was opening day, and uh, he he tells the story, lays it out. He had some encounters uh, from last year. And, uh, so he tells us the, uh, the entire story today. It's a pretty cool story. It's a pretty cool buck. And, uh, to be honest, it couldn't happen to a better guy. And, uh, yeah. So, so there's that now everybody is like, Dan, when are you going to announce the winners for the, uh, when are you going to announce the winners? When are you going to announce the winners for the 100th podcast giveaway? When are you going to announce the winners? Hey, Dan, when are you going to announce the winners? And I'm just like, I'll announce it when I announce it. And it's going to be at the end of the podcast today. So, again, there were first, second, and third places. And uh, I'm not going to you know, repeat the list. You can go to the show notes of the 100th podcast to uh, see what first, second, and third places one I've already contacted the winners they have 48 hours to reply to me but I'm going to announce those winners at the end of this podcast and uh, that way you guys have to listen to all this other stuff this awesome podcast with my buddy Brandon and uh, before we end up getting into that podcast, I just want to say I'm not gonna I'm not gonna throw the exodus commercial at you yet but i I want to say that I am, Freaking jacked up! Like if you can't see me right now, but I'm I'm fist pumping in my basement. Let me see. Can you hear this? I'm fist pumping, and that means I'm jacked for this upcoming season. Uh, me and my daughter went on a little uh, road trip today. My buddy's out of town, so we had to feed his cats and we had to feed his fish. And uh, I I walked down to the food plot that I planted, and my brassicas are looking money. Um, if you follow me on facebook you'll you'll know that uh my hand spreader broke so i had to do it by hand so i'm just a little bit afraid that i might have overseeded in certain areas but uh from my understanding and from some some veteran food plot guys uh, it kind of works itself out and uh I, you know, I put the lime down, I put the fertilizer down. And so it, it's looking pretty healthy. I got my scrape tree from, um, that I used uh, out of an old fence post that's up. You guys can go see pictures on the Facebook page. And uh, uh, over the last couple days that I was uh, back in my hometown for the funeral, I got four out of, I think the needed seven tree stands up. So I spent, it's like eight or nine hours one day bust an ass and uh i had two tree stands that were you know old tree stands i just had to do a little bit of maintaining to uh you know put the stand back in the tree trim you know trim up the shooting lanes to some good spots and then two that were completely new and different um completely new and different and uh those took a long time i'm i'm kind of anal when it comes to setups um you know, I, I'm also a run and gun type guy too. So if I put, you know, I put these tree stands up as a starting point and if I see the deer moving in different areas of that location, I'm going to be, I'm going to be tweaking those stand setups to, you know, a little bit closer here or a little bit closer there and, uh, you know, so on and so forth until I feel I'm in the exact right position. But, uh, I got that taken care of. So I feel much better now, September for me... Oh, I also went through what I call my trail camera transition. And that's taking my trail cameras off my mineral stations that I have and putting them in pinch points and uh, fence crossings and some field edges on some egg fields. And uh, that's how I'm going to try to start to pattern deer movement for the upcoming season. And that starts October 1st. So uh, that's that's what I've been doing. And, uh, I got to come back home and, uh, the month of September now for me is lay off my properties. So I want to stay off all my properties, let them calm down, uh, which to be honest with you, it probably doesn't mean much because they're both working farms or my, my two main farms are working farms. That means there's you know, livestock and crops and people are driving back and forth, which the deer are used to. Um, but I don't go in the timber. I don't track my trail cameras. Uh, I just kind of sit and wait. And then, uh, when October comes, I'll, you know, I'll be smart about where I'm, I'm going. And then when the rut hits, I'll be ready to rock and roll. And, uh, did I mention that, uh, I'm freaking jacked about that. So I don't know about you guys, but you know, I got, Instagram is the devil, I think, because I sit there at night and I'm scrolling through Instagram and I am going, I hate you, I hate you because I'm extremely jealous of all my buddies who are either out at uh, on elk hunts or whitetail hunts out west or even whitetail hunts in certain uh, eastern states and, uh, you know, mule deer hunts or wherever they're hunting and I'm just a little, you know, I'm sitting in a cubicle, I'm pissed, so, Yeah. I've talked too much. So, we got two quick commercials for you today. One's from Exodus, and Matt Klein from Exodus is going to talk a little bit about their consumer, their direct to consumer business model.
1: So, you know, direct-to-consumer is, is kind of this buzzword that's going around these days in the retail space because it's causing a lot of disruption. And a lot of your big retailers aren't going to tell you this yet, but they're worried about it, very worried about it. Because what we see is over the next five to ten years, companies like Kuyu, Maven Optics, Exodus Outdoor Gear, um, yours truly – I see companies like that becoming the normal rather than the exception. The reason why is people are not necessarily excited about the fact that they're paying about half of every product that they buy in profit to Cabela's, Bass Pro's, Dick Sporting Goods, all the major retailers of the world. So what we do is instead of that, we build a product. We build it better because we don't have to compete with 15 other products that are on the same shelf. We build it better. Nobody's telling us how to build our products. We put them out at a better price, and you're getting a more quality product for a cheaper price, which everybody, I think, can be happy with. What we typically like to say is if our camera, the Exodus Lift, was in retail stores, it would be about $479 retail. We're able to sell it at $230 retail and offer our five-year warranty and 50% off theft, you know, damage replacement policy because we're direct-to-consumer, and that's a big deal to us.
0: Hopefully, by now, you guys have had the opportunity to go to exodusoutdoorgear.com and uh, take a look at their cameras and uh, do some more reading about uh, their cameras and, uh, you know, I've been talking with the guys from Exodus and they have some really, really cool things coming down the pipeline, but uh, don't let that stop you from going and picking up uh, one of these trail cameras before your season starts. And if you do decide to purchase a camera, use the discount code 9FINGERS, that's the number 9, followed by the word FINGERS, no spaces, and you will receive $20 off your order. So, uh... There's that. Now, another cool thing that I've uh, ran into recently, and this is a company that it's actually not a company. I mean, it's a company, but it's a website. And the name of the website is Hunting Gear Deals. And that website is huntinggeardeals.com. Now, I'm that kind of guy who I, although I like to have some impulse buys at uh, you know the cabelas or the shields or the bass pro shops or online somewhere i'm also that guy who has a budget and i have only a certain amount of money that i can spend a year on products so if i can find a particular product cheaper than somewhere else i'm going to buy it there so you know whether that's online or at a different store what huntinggeardeals.com does is they do a scrub of the internet and they look for hunting products that are on sale or have a discounted price. So for example, I'm on their homepage right now and there's range finders, there's trail cameras, there's uh, thermocell refill packets, there's Waiters, there's batteries for trail cameras, more rangefinders, more trail cameras, and even stuff out west for like uh, a water filter straw, mountain house packs, uh, jet boils, and uh, even decoys. We got nose jammer. So, so you get the point here. Um, these are all found online and they're all discounted from a regular retail price, which saves you money and uh, maybe you can stretch your budget just a little bit further throughout the year so uh, go ahead and uh, check out huntinggeardeals.com now i've wasted enough of your time with these commercials and the introduction and stuff let's get in to this week's hunter profile podcast with my good buddy brandon phipps from kentucky Alright, on the phone with me now, all the way from Kentucky, is an old friend of mine from back in the day, Brandon Phipps. How you doing today, Brandon? I'm
2: doing just fine, Dan. I
0: appreciate you having me on today. It's been a minute since we've talked.
2: It has been a couple years, uh, I think, uh, an Indianapolis ATA show a couple years back.
0: That's right, that's right. So uh, I'm I'm scrolling through my, uh, my Facebook feed uh, yesterday, and I'm like, you know, out west, a lot of people are hunting, and uh, you know states like Kentucky—they've opened up. You're from Kentucky, and I see this picture of this giant velvet buck, and the guy behind it is you. So I'm like, I got to get this guy on the podcast.
2: Well, I appreciate it, and thank you.
0: All right, so here's what we're going to do before we uh, before we start talking about this buck, um, before you know you kind of started hunting him this summer you gave him the name junior right
2: yeah that's right dan uh he kind of had the look of a buck that i was hunting in there the previous year last year and uh that buck i had several encounters with and i wasn't able to to harvest him but he uh i kind of had a figure i kind of had an idea that he was gonna take the same frame as that buck this year and uh, he didn't let me down at all he blew right up into solid deer this year and uh I kind of just started calling him Junior because of that other book.
0: All right. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to start off like I always do, and uh, I'm going to ask you, what do you, you know, where do you, where do you live in Kentucky? What part of the state? And uh, what do you do for a living?
2: Well, Dan, I'm a, I'm in Eastern Kentucky. I'm a, kind of halfway between uh, Ashland and Lexington, but just a little bit south. And currently, I am a project manager for a construction company that does uh, state highway work and bridge projects and, and building projects as well.
0: Okay. So, and and you've lived in Kentucky your whole life, I take it, right? Yes,
2: sir. uh, I'm still hunting a lot of the same farms that, uh, that I cut my teeth on.
0: Nice, nice, nice. All right. So what is, I mean, what is hunting like in bow hunting? We'll talk about bow hunting because this is how you harvested this buck. What's, what's bow hunting like in Kentucky? And, you know, a lot of these, a lot of these magazines like outdoor life or, you know, uh, the North American whitetail or, you know, some of the, the strictly bow hunting, uh, magazines, I should say, have called Kentucky kind of a sleeper state, you know, what is, what's your opinion on the state of Kentucky and, uh, you know, from the mature, you know, mature bucks all the way to the, the number, the, the, the quantity of deer.
2: You know what? We got hit back and I believe it was 2007 with EHD and it knocked my herd, I would estimate at least 60 to 70% down. Well, the part of Kentucky I live in is the eastern portion. So when you hear everybody talk about Kentucky, nine times out of 10, they're referring to Western Kentucky where all the agriculture is. Um, Where I'm at, you're lucky if you've got a few farmers that raise a couple uh, cornfields for their livestock. And if they are doing that, then they're picking them crops as early as possible to try to save it. And uh, the deer don't get to really take advantage of any of that to help them survive through the year. And these deer, I mean, they're survivors. They, we live in the mountains. Um, uh, I believe you would call them mountains, um, being from uh, eastern <laughs> Iowa and stuff. But uh, where I worked in West Virginia in the past, they're kind of like big hills to me. Yeah. But uh, these deer are some uh, true survivors. And they uh, they uh, resemble a lot uh, to a group of guys that came out with a DVD. I think they were called Next Buck Outdoors, the Hill Country Bucks. I mean, <clears throat> I kind of really started cutting my teeth and diving in and figuring it all out once I kind of got in touch with their DVD and started applying a lot of the same methods that they were doing in those areas. But these bucks, they will <clears throat> they're the same everywhere throughout the United States, in my opinion. They group up in the summer and uh, put on their velvet and as october starts approaching that velvet is ready to come off and they're a little bit hyped up on establishing that pecking order and and then they'll start branching out but what i've noticed is where we've got so much woods and there isn't no agriculture to centralize a lot of animals that these deer spread out a lot more than what they would in other areas so you're lucky if you're on a two or three hundred acre farm and you got one four-year-old buck that wants to live on that farm let alone ever just pass through it i mean okay. if that gives you a good idea for our deer numbers but i mean i'm fortunate enough to come from i'm gonna say one of the biggest families in the county there there were 17 brothers and sisters on my mom's side and 14 on my dad's and every one of them's got property and uh we're all family that gets along and i mean i get to touch on a lot of these properties so it helps me out a lot that Instead of hunting properties one through three this year, the numbers might be down and the quality might be down. I might go to four through six and hunt those properties, and and these other properties might not get touched hardly at all except through gun season, because I'm I'm one of the few hardcore bow hunters in my family that are, are going to be out there chasing them early when it's hot and warm like this. Nice.
0: So let's talk a little bit about the terrain. You mentioned it, you know, it's kind of mountainous, you know, from an Appalachian mountain type of standpoint. Um, how are you hunting these bucks?
2: <clears throat> Most of these bucks during the summer, since we don't really have the the bean the beans and corns and alfalfa form to key on, a lot of the farmers, like I said, are uh, based on um, cattle industry and stuff like that. So a lot of these guys have hay hay fields. Well, even if they're not trying to make their field be a great clover field, it just tends to automatically happen anyways. So because the first thing that greens up in the spring is clover. So clover takes off really good. And these deer just start centralizing in these clover areas. And that's usually the first place that I start looking. I do a lot of driving around in the evenings with the buyer nose glass and trying to find the pockets of bucks. And one thing that really holds true here, and it might be where you're at too, is you can take it to the bank every year. If something doesn't drastically happen, industrial, commercial-wise, they're going to be in the exact same spots every year during that summer velvet time. Okay. So you know what areas to go start looking at to begin with.
0: So from a historical standpoint, they're, they're visiting the same areas throughout different portions of the year.
2: Yes, sir. And the same thing I would say continues all the way through the, the shedding season, too. I can go to the same fields year after year and pick sheds up out of them from the same, buck, same exact bucks. And I mean, they just make those cycles pretty steadily. I mean, year after year.
0: So how's that how's that act in the rut then? I mean, uh, do they do they wander away from that core area or because, you know, my uncle, he's down in Kansas. And he says, you know, down there in Kansas, these bucks are traveling one to two to three miles looking for the next hot doe. Um, uh, in Iowa, you know, I can, I have a, I have bucks that at max will travel one mile. How how far are these bucks traveling during the rut?
2: I mean, I've got uh, a buck on my Facebook. You might be able to reference it. It's a buck that we called big Frank and I actually, uh, I harvested my 2012 buck that year, and I took my cousin and uh, was able to put him on this buck, and we finally killed this nine-year-old buck. This is a buck that was nine years old. I had six years of pictures of him. He was at least 130 my first year, so I figured he had to be at least three years old for the area. And this buck, his area, core area, would switch about three-quarters of a mile every part of the, every couple of months, I would say. But at certain times, I've went through instances with this buck where I had him as a crow as a crow would fly about two and a half to three miles away from where I had him on a, on say camera A. He went to the three and a half I mean two and a half miles to camera B in less than six hours. I mean, and this is going up and down the hills and stuff. I mean, I'd say if you stretch it out, he probably traveled seven miles in less than six hours.
0: Hmm. So, they so they're on the, they're on the move. Is that for, is that an average? I mean, do a lot of deer, including the does, are they traveling that distance?
2: You know, uh, <clears throat> we are allowed to bait down here and everybody that gun hunts. I mean, our, our gun season comes in right during, um, basically the heart of the rut. You would call it usually it's in by November 12th and it's in for nine days in the area that I'm at and uh everybody if you go by the local ag store they're sold out of corn because everybody stopped and picked up a 100 or 200 pounds of corn and they're all put in front of their stands so they kind of cause these deer to all to branch out a little bit but uh because the food source isn't there like what's out in the midwest or in western kentucky these one or two deer will usually get on that corn pile and they'll be dominant over it so they'll push the others out so the deer tend to spread out quite a bit during the rut and Mm -hmm. uh you pretty much have to rely on what few pinch points you can get or create yourself with uh some uh um chainsaws and stuff and try to or dozers and try to funnel the deer in closer to your stand or something like that or i actually do a lot of uh, circuit work i've got some destination food plots that i know i can't hunt the deer in because they're not going to be in them until after dark anyways and then i if you could draw a circle i mean and start on the south side of it and then on the east and the west side i got plots as well and then in between the south and the east and the south and the west i got um some watering spots there i got a couple ponds and then the same thing goes when you circle it back around on the north but on the north side of my property i actually uh I do a lot of supplemental feed with boss buck feeders and I've got four of those spread out every about 500 yards. And I basically I'm for my run, I'm trying to make a, an area that if a doe gets up and wants to do something, she's going to travel that circle. So if the buck's looking for it, he's going to go through that circle and intermix in between all that is a bunch of different doe bedding areas and buck bedding areas that I, some were natural and some I went in there and he's got some trees and man, that is uh a game changer down here in my opinion it uh, really makes a difference if you find a spot that they already like the bed and you go in there and hinge cut trees man they just flock to it i mean times two
0: right so what you've done by you know doing all that work is keeping deer on your property from wandering right
2: i'm in my opinion they're going to wander regardless I'm just trying to keep them on there. It's the maximum amount of time that I'm going to be available to hunt them because I try not to overpressure my property. Like, thankfully, this year, and this is one me in the past, <coughs> excuse me, I'm tagged out early. So now all of November, I will spend in Ohio hunting in, in the rut. Yeah. Well, my farm becomes an entire sanctuary then instead of just those couple of areas. And those deer recognize that. And, I mean, during the rut, this year where my farm won't be pressured, I'll have daylight pictures on every one of my cameras. Right. Because those deer are trying to get away from the pressure. All
0: right. So now we're going to start talking a little bit about this buck, uh, junior that you shot this year. Um, how old do you think he is? How, or how how old do you think this buck was this year when you harvested him?
2: I'll be honest with you. I I broke my own rule and my rule is usually to shoot, four-year-old bucks and older and I've got quite a collection of four-year-old plus jaw bones that I keep in my freezer and upon initial thought I thought that this was just a three-year-old buck until we got his jaw bone out once we caked him out and uh, I have no doubt at all that he's four years old this year.
0: Okay so Let's, let's talk about some of the very first times. So last year, right. Was it last year was your first encounter with this buck or do you have, um, more than one year of experience or, uh, history with this buck?
2: You know, it seems like sometimes that when they're two years old and younger, they might not have a real distinct look to them. And, uh, I do know that starting last year, he was around 115 to 120 inch buck and i I probably passed him in between four to six times, I would say, and got some killer footage of him every time. Once or twice, I got him coming in early. He uh, had the velvet hanging off of his antlers and stuff. And uh, <clears throat> that's uh, that actually brings up an interesting point. I'd like to point out to some guys is that I've noticed that if this if this buck sheds his velvet tomorrow, that he's going to shed within a couple of days of that the next year and the next year and the next year, same way with them shedding their antlers in most cases is what I've noticed down here that they will about shed their antlers within a week of when they did the previous years and they'll come out of velvet the same. But uh, <clears throat> he came out of velvet last year on Labor Day. So I kind of had a good feeling that I would get a, a crack at him in velvet. Um, but uh, I actually went scouting for him the day before and seen him in full velvet. And, uh, I don't know if you can see it in the picture, but his left side G3 had a big pill on it and he had actually done that, that, uh, evening before. So I was afraid he might be out of velvet when I actually harvested him.
0: Okay. So you, you passed him multiple times in 2015. Uh, you had trail camera pictures from him. Did you, did you find his sheds during shed season this year? This
2: uh, in you know, early March?
0: This was a. Uh, this was
2: my best year I've ever had at shed hunting. I actually found 38 sheds this year and I did not find any sheds off this deer, but I was told that the neighbor found a a decent eight point side and he was getting this buck on camera just as much as I was. And it makes me think that uh, it was possibly the same deer.
0: Okay. So you mentioned you had food plots. Um, Did you, did you notice that, you know, was this buck obviously was around all summer, but from the last year, did he wander off your property, then come back? Or was this particular buck a homebody?
2: He, he was a homebody. Uh, He wandered out just a little bit, a couple weeks there during the rut. But for the most part, uh, this was one of the few cases that a decent young buck actually stayed on the farm the entire year. And he was actually the first buck I seen in velvet this year, and I, when I seen him, I just knew absolutely that it was him, because he was the only decent mature buck left in the area that I thought could have been that big. And when I seen him in July, I was like, "Wow, he's going to blow up this year." So.
0: Okay. And you, uh, when did you start getting trail camera pictures of him again, or are you the kind of guy who has trail camera tra- trail cameras out the entire season?
2: It varies. Uh, I usually try to base uh, putting my. The bulk of my camera's up, uh, 4th of July week, because uh, a lot of people are off during that time, and I'm off a couple of days, so it gives me a time that I can get everything prepared. But uh i seen this, I said July, i seen this buck in June, and that's when I could tell he was going to have a good rack. In July 4th week, I did put up a camera for him, and he was the, the first buck I actually got on that camera. And I could tell that he was going to be a good buck this year, and I was tickled to death. But this was in a location that was probably 500 yards from there. And I don't know if you or any of the listeners have had any experience with this, but uh, if I can see a buck every day, which thankfully I could see this buck feeding every day and, and without disturbing me, that as bad as you want to just run over there and throw up a camera to get pictures, do not do it. I mean, and unless you get perfect conditions, in my opinion, to hang a stand like a ant, I would prefer doing it in a downpour if I'm going to hang it early, but I actually hung my stand the day that I killed this buck and he had no clue that I was ever in the area because I never put any pressure on him.
0: Okay. So do you feel that if you would have went in there to hang a, a trail camera or hang a tree stand that, uh, you may not have had the same results?
2: I do because it, uh, it cost me dearly on an opportunity at another buck that I was, uh, I had as uh, my option, and I'll call it option A, I had another big buck that I was hoping to get on camera. And um, I let a buddy talk me into putting a camera in there because me and him were hunting the farm together. And <clears throat> we went the next two days. This was a huge field. We seen the buck in the field. He never walked by four different cameras we put up. Two of them were cell phone cameras. We left them there about 10 days, checked them in uh, in the middle of the day one day. And never got a picture of him, and we haven't never seen that buck again. And I believe that that little bit of pressure pushed him out of that area. Okay.
0: So that was that the same buck? Is that it? Was that a different year, or was that this year as well? That was a that was
2: this year as well, but it was a different buck. That was a that was my number one buck I wanted right. to try to get on this year, but I also knew in the back of my mind, I you can't kill a ghost. I mean, and yeah. it's really hard to walk away from a deer that's killable to go to one that you you might not ever have a shot at right right all right
0: so when does the season open in kentucky
2: kentucky's opener usually um, (coughs) falls around labor day weekend it's a which works out great for um, most bow hunters because you get a three-day weekend usually
0: okay so you mentioned that you knew exactly where this buck was at uh because you I mean were you scouting or what what were you doing before the season started you know leading up to that that uh that week or two before the season started were you you know glassing this field every night were you you know laying off the property what were you doing
2: You know like I said uh, earlier I do a lot of
0: of glassing
2: for my vehicle and this year was I actually primarily feeding in a in what we'll just call an old grown-up field environment and uh, luckily it was in a location that a lot of people wouldn't recognize from the road you would have just had to have been like me you would had to been a hardcore deer hunter in order to even know to stop and even look in that area or you would have never noticed these deer and uh, he was feeding on this hillside and <clears throat> i could go see him every day i mean from back in june july august and uh, the week of season i went and scouted a multitude of bucks, and I always came back to this one to make sure he was there. I checked him on Wednesday; he was there, and I checked him on the day before season on Friday, and he was there. And he was out by seven fifteen just about every day. And I mean, you know, you know, it's good as well. I mean, as I do, it's getting dark at eight fifteen. You should have a crack at that deer if he's
0: that consistent, right? Right. If you don't mess it up. So, did you have to wait for a particular wind to go into this? you know, into your stand location? Did you have multiple stands set up around this field or, uh, you know, was was the wind right or did, you know, you said you had to go set up a tree stand. So was it, or, or did you know where you were going to go or was it more of kind of a shoot from the hip type scenario?
2: It was a little bit of both. Um, luckily, like I said, I hunted here last year and I passed him a couple times and I had two different places that I'd hunted the previous year. And every time that I watch these deer in this field, there's a little bit of a drain and there's a couple, there's a cluster of trees in it. And I mean, they're not very big, but they get the job done as long as you're good and still. And and the wind was literally going 360 degrees in about anywhere from five to 12 mile an hour gusts, I would say. But uh, I pretty much had that tree in mind that if I didn't get him and it put pressure on him and kept him from coming out by the first three days of season, i I pretty much felt that by the second weekend I would set up in tree stand option number two, about 400 yards away. And I would catch him in daylight, uh, staging to come out in that field.
0: So where, where was this buck bedding in relationship to, to this field that you were, you know, continue, continuously seeing him in?
2: This deer, uh, it, he had about two different bedding areas in my opinion that he used, according to my summertime trail camera that uh, he was hitting. Um, we actually had a tornado come through a couple of years ago and it, it came right through the center of this property. So it laid down a bunch of trees on both sides. So on South winds, he was doing the classic over the Ridge, the one third up, I mean one third from the top and he was getting on the North side right there and then the reverse for when we were getting the North winds. So, I pretty much knew he was going to be in either one of those spots, but it didn't matter. It didn't influence on where he was feeding at.
0: Okay. So no matter what the wind direction was, he was coming to the same food source just from a different angle.
2: Yes. And I guess if I should point out anything there that the wind influenced at all, um, we were kind of lucky that we got the wind, um, open weekend to help me get by with some movement. But, uh, say most cases uh the wind is less than five miles an hour probably three to three or less um the hills are so steep that in our hill country we experience um i'm not kidding when i say this we experience thermals like they're a wind by itself so everywhere that he came out in the bottom side of this little field he would always take the thermals in his advantage coming out into it at least to the point that he could use his eyesight from that point on
0: okay so So was he going high to low and using the thermals, or was he coming low to high when he was entering this field? Um, It varied, and uh, to
2: be honest with you, the thermals uh, hit in such a way that the way this field hit, he could get right on the top corner and look over and, over and, and oversee it all. Or he okay. could come in from the bottom and just have some obstruction of weeds. But in most cases, with bucks like that, the main thing they're looking for is other deer out there. If other deer's out there, they feel a lot more safe, okay. and then he he could ease on out from there. In my opinion.
0: So the the you know the night that you, you know, you park your truck, you get out, you st- you still have a stand to set. Did you bump any deer at all walking to the tree that you uh, decided to hunt out of? I did not bump any
2: deer at all, but I do believe that I made just enough noise, and you might think I'm crazy, but uh, last year there was a, a five-year-old and a six-year-old buck both using this spot, but there was a two-year-old buck that was absolutely the smartest of all of them, and that deer survived to this year, which didn't surprise me at all, and when he stepped out at 200 yards away, he looked up right at me from 200 yards, and I wasn't moving or nothing. I mean, it was just like he heard it. He knew that something should have been there at that point, so he just wanted to look in that direction. And from that point on, every 20 yards, he would stop and look at me until he got straight downwind. And this isn't no plug just for Ozonics. I truly believe in it. I mean, the wind was blowing right at him. He stepped five yards closer. He he didn't like the smell of it. And most bucks would just ease out farther around. I mean, you've used it a lot and had a bunch of different encounters with it. But he turned right back around. And then, believe it or not, he went to the right even more and looked back up at me again. And he snorted, and buddy, my heart about just sunk right out of my <laughs> chest. I was like, "Well, there it goes, this one." Huh? And he just snorted one time, and he slowly walked right back into this big thicket from the tornado. And uh, he just sat there observing everything. And he stayed there all evening. Right. Um, and it's, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but ironically, at the same time, here came five other deer, and they never even heard him snort. I mean i couldn't believe it but uh
0: so it sounds like we'll, we'll that, probably, that you don't know, that buck is going to be your next shooter in about you know two or three years
2: he's gonna be a smart one though
0: <laughs> yeah yeah and that's how they get big, big right
2: that's right he he uses that nose and i mean they know that that ozonics is a foreign smell to them they uh and some deer uh just tolerate it different but if you've hunted long enough you know whether or not a deer smelt your human scent or yeah. if he didn't know what he smelled or what he seen. I mean, right. the snort's are completely different. I mean, I had a encounter last year with a 6-year-old 8 owner. I mean, a bug flew up his nose and he constantly snorted, I bet you for 30 minutes. And uh, the deer always overlooked it cuz it was just it's almost like a different inflection. Yeah. Like a grunt call would be too. They they just know the difference. I mean. Yep.
0: yep. So, you you got up in this stand um, you know, that, that buck stepped out and he may have snorted. How many other deer came by your location or, uh, or made their way to the field before this buck made an appearance?
2: I had eight other deer come through and every evening, just about, I had nine, I seen nine deer in that field. So I knew that there were at least nine deer there from what I'd observed, um, like I said, that first buck came in, didn't like it, went to the cover and stood there the whole time. well then at that same point the here came five other deer, three does and two small bucks and then I had two other small bucks come in, and then finally uh the last deer came in was this
0: buck okay so i mean did did uh did you did he follow the script i mean did he come to this This field that uh, he was feeding in, did he walk right down the trail that you thought he was going to walk out? And was it just kind of clockwork, or did anything happen to you know, like oh, okay, I might not get the opportunity I thought I was going to get?
2: Well, I should probably back up and tell you that uh, the eight point three year old wasn't the only deer that snorted. Okay, it uh, so he's standing in the cover. And I had the three does and two bucks come out. Well, they feed for about 45 minutes. Well, finally, they cross this little drainage dish I was telling you about and get on the other side where that buck was standing. And uh, this doe just starts feeding up the hill. And, dude, it was was crazy. She looked right at the base of my tree, and it's just like she stepped her way right up to me. Like she was looking right at my lone wolf sticks on the side of that tree. Like, those don't belong there. Right. And then she walked it right up to me and nailed me. And it might, I might be just insane or anal about this, but uh, I swear, I think a, a black camera or a black bow will sometimes get you, a black camera arm will get you noticed a lot easier than, than actually being fully decked out in camo. Yeah. But uh, anywho, she stair-stepped right up there to me and she immediately walked down and went stomping. Yeah. And I said, daggone it. And I said, here it is, prime time. Like, I got 30 minutes of daylight left. And she'd done this six times. Well, finally, she'd got the attention of the other doe. Well, the other doe done it three times. Well, finally, they just looked at each other and stomped a couple times. And I kid you not, Dallas, they, they must have snorted six times apiece and then walked <laughs> out and followed the same trail that the first buck led. And I'm sitting there putting my hand, my head between my hands, and I'm like, these deer don't smell me. I mean – they, they're they just seeing me and I I thought I had more cover this year than I did last year. Right. Unless somehow they were skylighting me with the sun at my back or just noticing all my equipment on this tree. But, uh, so I'm like, well, this is over. And so they, the does leave. Well, the two yearling eight pointers, they stand there. They're like, what's going on? Well, by that time, here comes the other two bucks and they come barreling over the hill and when they do, it's uh, it's kind of like rocky, and it's it's not rained in about fourteen days, so it's real dry. Yeah. So they made a lot of noise when they ran over the hill. So the two bucks spooked theirself, and they run to where the doe stopped <laughs> and look back, and they're like, "Oh, well, that's deer," and they stop. So then now here's four of these bucks on alert out of the out of the eight deer that's been there, and I'm just like, daggone it!" Well, finally the the smart three-year-old circles around and these bucks all walked down to him to see what's up and a couple of them were out of velvet so they were tickling their antlers together and stuff like that and rubbing trees and stuff feeling feeling good even though that they uh, hearing all this snorting going on but i'm sitting there like dude i could just go ahead and get down because I, I know he's going to wait till, till dark or something and i'm just going to have to sit in a stand because if i get a buck underneath me that i'm after i will sit there until 11 or 12 o'clock at night if i've got through to keep them spooking him right right Right. or if i can get somebody to drive in there and bump him off seems like they deal with that a lot better than they do seeing you climb out of a tree stand
0: (laughs) yeah yeah i've heard that i've heard that a lot of times okay so these these bucks you know all the rest of the deer these eight deer did they start to settle down i mean how how much daylight was left when junior finally made an appearance?
2: I probably had right around five minutes of, uh, I mean, if people found they will recognize this of what I thought I had before I had to drop below 60 shutter speed when I spotted him
0: for the, now for the guys that don't have a clue what you're talking about, about how much time, about how much time was left in the day.
2: In my opinion, you probably are on a field edge you get an additional fifteen minutes than what you would in the woods. So on that field edge I had uh and usually there's a, a good ten to fifteen minutes of difference between what I can shoot and what the camera can see. So I there was probably let's just say twenty
0: twenty five minutes and and
2: a regular hunter could have shot this butt. Right.
0: Okay, so it came out, plenty of shooting light. Um, did did he come from exactly where you thought he was going to come, or did he come out of a different uh, trail?
2: You know, since uh, the last two deer that came in up high, and he wasn't with the older mature buck, I kind of had a feeling that, uh, according to my trail camera pictures, I remember him favoring um, this small six-pointer, Um, the most it seemed like which he wasn't right behind him but he walked the exact same path that that deer ran down over the hill on and uh came out in the same exact spot that he did um say 50 percent of the time and and what he did every time the year before um that i hunted there and uh buddy he uh he i mean he followed the script so to speak and i got the camera on him and everything was filming him and I realized, hey, I'm gonna to have to shoot this buck quartering towards me, and then I was like, well, I can I got one small window to shooting, and uh, that's maybe a yard and a half wide that I should get a a good perpendicular broadside shot on, and <clears throat> I finally got ready there, and I was a little bit afraid that as fast as he was walking, that he wouldn't hear me try to grunt stop him, so I had done it fairly loud. And when I did, like, he stopped instantly. Whereas I thought he was get one or two more steps and give me the perfect opening in the shot. He didn't, but he stopped right at the edge of it. I said, Tag on. I said if I try to stop him again, I said, I, I don't think I'll get the shot. And I said, I think he's 20 yards. I mean, he was no more than 20 yards. I, I think it was probably closer to 18. I said, I should be able to, to get it on him as soon as he, he takes out of there. And as soon as he started walking, I said, my shot broke, and I executed my shot, and I had exactly no clue where I hit him. But you know that sound you get when you just know you hit
0: him—the
2: thump. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, I didn't have a lot of knock on, so I didn't know where I hit him. So I grabbed my binoculars, raised them up real quick, and I was watching him try to backtrack himself. And he started slowing down at about fifty, sixty yards, and I was like, "That gone, I must have gut shot him." I said, "Because he's slowing down." And, buddy, it was the backflip. Here he started going and thumb back. And I was like, well, there goes his velvet. But, you know, he didn't <laughs> actually bother it that bad.
0: <laughs> I
2: said, because I smoked him. I was excited, man.
0: <laughs> so, so after you, see, you, you saw him fall, could you see him after he was down on the ground? You know, a- after he fell down to the ground, did he die to where you could see him from your tree stand?
2: The weeds were so tall. And the heel broke so hard I couldn't see him. I just—I seen him do two big thunder shots, and when he did that, man, like I told you, I've uh, been pretty hard on myself the past two years on what I was willing to take, and I didn't take a buck the past two years. So I immediately got the camera back on me, and I was giving all the glory and thanks to God because I was just extremely blessed. I mean, there's no other way to put it.
0: Right, right. So you know, I've ate tag soup several years. Uh, in a row in between bucks um, because I'm a little bit picky as well you know after you let the arrow fly after you saw him drop but you know you don't know quite if he was dead or not what were some of the thoughts that were going through your mind
2: I guess my my first thought was I, I finally got the monkey off my back because I mean usually you see him tip over when they stop running you know it's a done deal yeah. and uh, I was just like I just smoked this buck and, uh, man, I just started celebrating and, and that's when, uh, I'm fairly good about not getting uh buck fever. I'll call it and shaking real bad until after my shot goes off. But once right. it goes off, dude, I come unglued. Right. Uh, I get for it probably worse than anybody. Right. But so I just, I just had to start calling everybody, and <laughs> telling everybody how lucky I was that I, I got the job done. I thought kind of felt a little bit bad because uh one of my friends down here uh, i don't know if you've seen it or not denny conley smoked an absolute giant yep and I,
0: mean, I i'm trying to get him on the podcast in a couple of weeks as well
2: so he uh it uh me and his good buddies we've been sharing pictures back and forth of, of both of our deer for the past two months and talking about them and yeah i'm sitting there like well it's not as big as denny's but i'm excited and tore up and you know what you said it before in the past if it just makes you get that wow factor like you right. gotta take him and that's right. that's what it was all about and that's what i've done
0: so is this the first time you've ever killed a buck in velvet
2: you know uh, <clears throat> when i was new to archery i'd shot uh, a couple small bucks in velvet and you know looking back now they didn't mean as much then but it's where i got my start and then i actually shot one nice 130 inch eight pointer and uh he died in a big strip mine, and it was pretty much the whole strip mine was seven or eight feet tall. And we looked and looked and looked for this buck and couldn't find him. And I went back in there during rifle season and set up on this big high rock. And looking down in there, I seen him dead. And I said, "Well, daggone, we stopped within ten yards of him, but uh, he's officially my first uh, recovered velvet buck. That gotcha. uh, is a nice deer."
0: So, did you put a, a tape to this buck at all yet? What What did he score? You know, I, I'll be 100% honest with you. I didn't
2: know what to do about the velvet. And my first reaction is, hey, I've got to get this deer processed and I've got to get it caped. i got to get the, I got to get it skinned out, cut down close to the, the jaw, and get into the taxidermist because I do not want to lose my velvet. Right. And while the taxidermist was skinning him out, he had a, a tape sitting there handy. And the only thing I measured on the buck to try to give myself some sort of Confirmation was his main beams, and his main beams were were right between like twenty four and three quarters and and twenty five. But I didn't know exactly how hard to to pull it on the velvet and everything. Right, so right. I, it kind of gave me confirmation that the deer is gonna it should be an easy one hundred forty five hundred fifty inch
0: deer. That's a pretty big eight pointer. Oh, I'd say. A nine, right? Just got a little G, yeah. Just G4. barely a nine. Yeah. he's got a scoreable nine, and it was kind of awkward on me this year.
2: I didn't know that Kentucky had uh, changed their laws on the telecheck, and now you have to to give him whether or not the spread is greater than eleven inches and how many scoreable points over one inch that it actually had. But when I when I seen it in my hands, I was like, yeah, he's definitely got uh, over an inch on that one, so it'll be scoreable. But so what blew my mind really was. Between his G two and G three, he uh that's where he mainly damaged most of his velvet and it's where me and my dad damaged part of it getting him out. But uh how solid it still was, like that's probably his biggest mass measurement, and I'd say it's probably close to six inches right there.
0: Wow. That's uh I mean it's it's a gorgeous animal. The cape the cape alone just looks flawless from
2: the picture that i'm looking at i'll be honest with you i think it's probably the prettiest cape on any deer i've ever harvested besides maybe the the buck that i harvested back in 2010 i harvested a, a nice 149 inch 10-pointer that year that had the, a beautiful cape but i killed him the second week in the season and he just
0: came out of velvet with blood on his antler steel nice nice so you mentioned uh okay so is he get you gonna mount this buck? Is he he going on your wall?
2: Really, then? I mean, <laughs> of course it, he will go on my wall. I mean, that's going to be part of uh, the memory for me. I mean, right. Right. Uh, it's going to be a, an instant conversation piece, uh, and I'm going to get to relive that moment every time somebody looks at it and asks me a question about it, or if I see him looking at it, I, I'm going to want to start talking about it to relive that moment. I mean, if I have kids, it's going to be something I can share with them. Yep. It's uh, not just uh, some trophy that I threw
0: on the wall. Right. Right. Like that's a, that's a pretty good way to look at it. It's a talking piece. It's uh it's a memory. I tell you what, there's so many times that I'm down in my basement looking at uh, you know, my, my mounts or my shed antlers and just sitting in, you know, sitting there in silence, staring at them and just thinking about, you know, me and you, we're the you know the crazy guys who can pick up a a shed and say, "Okay, I found this shed in two thousand and eight. I found it uh on this piece of property and I found it at four o'clock in the afternoon and it goes to this buck you know you know yeah all that information and all the that story that's the uh that's the that's the cool part about this whole thing,
2: oh yeah, I love that I mean that's what it's all
0: about man so now the uh you're done in Kentucky as far as archery is concerned, right? That's right. And now you're going to, uh, have you just recently started going to Ohio every year or is it something uh, that you've been doing for a while?
2: You know, I, I mentioned earlier that back in 2012, I put my cousin on a good buck and uh, that year he had his first child born. So he had sold all of his archery equipment and uh, said he just couldn't do it anymore. And I said, man, I'm tagged out. I, this buck, I think, will show itself, to, the nine-year-old big Frank. And I said, I said, yeah, you ain't shot a bow in a long time, but you've done it enough in the past and shot competition that it's going to be like riding a bike. I said, just come down here and, sh- and shoot my bow. And actually, Timmy uh, had been down there hunting with me, and he left his bow down there. So he actually was the most comfortable with Timmy's bow and uh, picked it up, shot it for a couple of days, and we went hunting the very first day. and. And killed that nine-year-old buck. So that got my cousin all jacked up. And he's like, man, I got family in Ohio that's got some ground. And I'm like, really? We need to go check it out. And he's like, one farm's 400 acres. Another is 110 (laughs) acres. And I'm like, oh, dude, we got to go to the 400-acre farm first. Well, we go to the 400-acre farm, and it's more like 370 acres of standing corn with a railroad track that goes through it with the biggest crop of acorns I've ever seen. And there wasn't no deer scat, no signs of them eating the acorns or anything, which you would think that. I mean, we've seen a, some deer sign there, but uh you would have thought they would have pounded those acorns over that corn and hit that close to that cover. Yeah. And, but come to find out, their little kids rode fullers in the 30 acres of woods every day. So there really wasn't no great place to pinpoint these deer. And she said, Well, so I'll take you to the other place. So we went to it, and it's right on the, uh, the outskirts of a little town. I mean, If you shot a gun, you could probably, I mean, hit the gas station inside the city limits. And we get up there and I'm like, man, I I just got a feeling about this that this will produce. And we throw up five or six cameras and wait two weeks, come back, check them, and had uh, four or five shooter bucks on there. Then we come back up in November and dude, my first hunt, I smoked 165 inch. uh, 11 he ended up being 11 pointer and uh dude it's just been a, a honey hole. it it's right on the edge of town and it i that was in 2012 i killed that first buck there i went back the, the next year and it was <laughs> pretty much the same but even on more on steroids dan I, I know you and mark like to have your competition between who's gonna get the bug, biggest buck on camera <laughs> but uh Seriously, like, I've never seen a place like Ohio, and most of my friends up there are the same way. If you've got three shooter bucks before the rut, you're going to have six come the rut, and there's a good chance that you're going to have two or three. It's Boone and Crockett. Right. I mean, that year, that next year, I had three that I think were over 190. I mean. On on one property? On one property. One of them is, I don't think I'll ever top him Is the biggest 10-pointer I've ever had on trail camera. That uh, has got to have over 30 inch main beams. Yeah. I don't care to send you these pictures and let you post them, whatever. <laughs> um, another one was uh, <clears throat> showed up in late season, had broke off a G4. And dude, I'm serious. He, he was ever bit a 190 plus two. And uh, the other buck might not have quite hit 190 as of, now that I think about it, but he was definitely over 180.
0: So, you're heading back to this farm again in uh, late October?
2: Yes, sir. I'll probably head up there in the next couple of weeks, actually, and go ahead and, and get some cameras out and go uh, talk to the locals again and uh, keep my relationships there because relationships are important anytime you're hunting on somebody else's land. That's right. If you don't babysit that, then you never know how long you'll have it. And there's a lot more to it than just that, too. I mean, I'll be honest with you a couple years in a row of killing bucks there me and my buddy and now we've got other people to take that in their family hunting and it's completely changed how the deer hunt on this farm i mean they don't care how they approach it or nothing we try talking to them so i pretty much realized that hey if i'm gonna hunt it i have to take off there in the middle of the week and go up there and take advantage of tuesday wednesday thursday when they don't have no chance of being out
0: there right right yeah i got a My farm is that same way. I got, uh, I hunt with some guys who on the same piece of property that, you know, their tree stands. The tree break farm? uh, No, this is, uh, well, yeah, you know, my, my Southern farm and uh, they, uh, they, you know, they, they drive their trucks, they park in the same spot. They go to this, you know, they pretty much have a tree stand in the same spots, for, you know, several years, you know, however long they've been hunting this farm. And, uh, they, it's always nice to hunt when they're not there because, uh, it's like, you know, the, the term access is everything. Uh, it allows me to access different parts of my farm the way I want to access them as opposed to accessing a tree stand with another hunter in the area. And it just, it's always like, When someone else is on the farm, it's just not working out like
2: I want it to. Oh, I agree 110%. And it's because they don't go through the same measure as you do. Yeah. And you probably care a lot more about it. I found that that makes a big difference. If somebody don't care if they just kill a little four-pointer or it doesn't matter the age class, class of deer that they get, they're going to be happy, then they're not going to approach it with the same enthusiasm that we are, that we're going to go out there and and try our best to kill the most mature, biggest buck, whatever we set our goals on.
0: Right, right, right. Well, I tell you what, Brandon, thanks for uh, taking time out of the day to uh, you know talk with us on the show, share your story, and BS with me a little bit. Uh, good luck in Ohio.
2: Hey,
0: buddy, I appreciate
2: you having me. It's, uh, it's been a good time catching back up with you.
0: Hey, first off, I want to say thank you to Brandon for taking time out of his day and sharing that story with us. Uh, good luck in Ohio, buddy. And uh, next, I want to say a huge thank you to each and every one of you who took the time to download uh, this podcast and all the other podcasts. Uh, um, you guys have really made this, in, in my opinion, a successful podcast, and I really appreciate that. Now, winners of the 100th podcast Giveaway. I'm just gonna go. I'm just gonna cut right to the chase. Not even gonna try to say anything funny. But uh, third place, Eric Downs. Okay. So congratulations. Second place, Alex Slosser and S L uh, O S S E R. Alex Slosser, second place. And drum roll for first place. Brrr, horrible scott and i'm gonna murder this last name says sesla 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 and that's s z e l a and uh you are the first place winner so congratulations guys um i will be in contact with you shortly if you if you hear this you have 48 hours to reply to uh, the message that I send you, and if you uh, don't reply in 48 hours, I am sorry, but I'm going to have to give your prize to a different winner, so everybody, make sure you tune in because uh, I will do it too, I've had to do it before. Other than that, hey guys, if you're not already following me on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, please do so, I, I throw a lot of good content out there. I also um if you haven't taken time go back uh to my blog ninefingerchronicles.com and check out some of my old blog posts. I have a lot of content in there uh about hunting strategy, you know, how I access certain stands. Uh dig through some of those old uh blog posts and uh give those a read. Um again right now i'm not putting as much writing out as or or video out as i want to only because this podcast has uh taken up a lot of time and it is getting into hunting season which means uh, we all have our priorities right so uh i'm gonna still try to put out as many podcasts as i can uh throughout october and november but uh don't be surprised if it drops down to maybe one or two podcasts a week uh during that time of year, because just like you, I am a hunter and I'm going to hunt. So, I mean, I love this podcast, but I don't love it that much. Thank you very much. It is that time of year. The hunting has started. And if you're in a tree, don't be a jackass. Wear your damn safety harness.